0: I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here physically and also each person that's tuning in online. We're thankful, Lord, for these psalms that we can be encouraged by to know that you are the God who loves us and cares deeply for us. I just pray, Lord, that our focus and attention remains on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever sinned in such a way that you felt absolutely terrible? Or maybe you sinned and didn't feel terrible at first, but someone you know confronted you and then you realized the magnitude of your sin and then you actually started to feel feel terrible. So today what we're going to do is we're going to study Psalm 51. Now this is a very famous psalm and the reason why is because it was written by David after he commits, a t- after he commits terrible sins and was confronted by the prophet of God named Nathan. Now just to give you a little background, this was at the point in David's life when he was the king of Israel. God had blessed him beyond measure and one day he was walking on his roof and he was admiring his kingdom and he got a glimpse of a beautiful woman bathing. Now, just a quick note or a quick warning to all you men out there, if you have the view of a woman's bathtub from your roof, don't go on your roof, okay? Stay away from your roof. So he saw this woman and he found out that her name was Bathsheba and she was the wife of a soldier in his army that was away at battle, and his name was Uriah. Now, what David did at this point is he went and he had his servants go get Bathsheba and take her to him. So basically, now David was going after another man's wife. He wound up laying with her and she became pregnant. So now because David didn't want anybody to know that he had committed adultery and he had gotten another man's wife pregnant, he came up with a plan. He called to the general for Uriah to come back, and he figured, you know what? I'll call Uriah back. He's a soldier, and I'll tell him, you know what? Go home, take a break, enjoy your wife. And basically, what David was doing is he was figuring that Uriah would go home, lay with his wife, and think, oh, great, this is my child. So sounds like a perfect plan, right? Well, Uriah was such an upstanding man that he didn't wind up going home. He slept at the king's door and didn't go home because he felt bad that all his other companions were out on the battlefield. And he felt terrible knowing that he would be relaxing and having a good time and enjoying his wife. And they were still out at battle. So David realized this and he realized the plan didn't work. So what he did was he came up with another plan and this plan was a little more devious. He invited Uriah in to have a meal with him and he figured I'll get Uriah drunk. So he kept on pushing him, got him drunk and figured now he'll go home and lay with his wife. But Uriah still didn't. He wound up on David's couch and he fell asleep. Now David had another plan. And this plan was even worse than the other two plans. This plan was to actually get Uriah, the soldier, killed. So what he did was he sent a letter by the very hand of Uriah to the general Joab and it said, put Uriah in the front lines of the next battle so he gets killed. And that's exactly what happened. Joab put Uriah in the front lines and Uriah died. So after that, David took Bathsheba into his house as his wife. And the scripture says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So basically what happened at this point is the Lord wanted David to realize his sin and actually be sorry for his sin. So he sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. And the way that Nathan did this was he actually used a story about three men. There was a rich man, a poor man, and a traveler. Now the rich man had everything he could ever want. The rich man could, he had everything he could ever want. He had flocks and herds, a poor man, only had this little lamb and as the scripture goes on in second Samuel it said the poor man took care of this little lamb like it was his own child it was like a daughter to him so the rich man had all this stuff the poor man only had this little lamb and then a traveler came into the town now it was customary for uh, the the people in the town to host travelers and actually give them a feast so the rich man took the traveler and said hey great I'm glad you're here we're gonna prepare a feast for you. So he said to his servants, go find that poor man and grab his little lamb and cook that little lamb up for this man. Now, after hearing this story, David was like, are you kidding me? Like this rich man actually did this to this poor man. And it says this, this is how David responded. It says, as the Lord lives, this is 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 6 says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So now, right out of David's mouth, David said, This guy is a loser, okay? He deserves to die. He took the only thing this poor man had, and he had all this stuff that he could have given. So after hearing David's response, the prophet Nathan simply says, David, you are that man. Nathan proceeded to tell him that the Lord gave him everything he ever wanted. And including including that, he actually delivered him from the hand of Saul. And this is how you repay the Lord. This is how you act after the Lord has blessed you so much. So then Nathan said in 2 Samuel 12, 9, says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down... Uriah the Hittite, with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Then the Lord tells David through Nathan that war and violence now will rest on your house and the child that Bathsheba is pregnant with will die. So at this point, Nathan's, uh, David says to Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. David realized his sin. Enter in Psalm 51. Now Psalm 51 gives us further detail and elaboration of what David was actually feeling and what he said to God in this moment. So the Psalm starts out with a plea. David's plea. The first plea is this found in verse one, have mercy on me. So let's look at this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions or sins. Now, mercy is simply this, compassion shown from someone that has the power to punish. Now, God obviously has the power to punish because he is ultimately the judge. He sets the standards and all sin is an offense to him. David realizes that and his appeal is because he knows that God has unwavering love, steadfast love, unwavering love. He knows this and he can choose not to punish David or choose to punish him He can also choose not to punish him and forgive his sin. And that is the next plea. David's plea is forgive me, wash me thoroughly from my sin or from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So David is asking right now, his plea is to be forgiven and have his sin washed away. You know what? This is something that God does for all of us when we trust in Jesus Christ. We are all sinners that need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He rose again. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life or all who believe will have their sins forgiven. Their sins are washed away. So David's saying, you know what? Forgive me of this sin. Then he goes on to say this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Do you realize that we can't be saved unless we're willing to admit that we are sinners, that we actually sin? If we go to somebody and say, you know, you're a sinner, and they say, no, I'm not. Guess what? They can't be saved because they have to admit that they've done something wrong, that they actually sin. David realized that. David realized that God would not forgive him if he denied that he did something wrong. If he was like, well, my roof was in the right place and I just saw this girl and you know what? And the rest is history, Lord. It's no big deal. Okay, that's not how David looked at things. He said, you know what? (laughs) I did something wrong. I I realized that I admit it. So then he goes on to say this during his plea of forgive me against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, here's what David's telling us and and saying to God, reminding himself and telling us, all sin is against God. This verse is not teaching that he didn't sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. It's not teaching that. What it's teaching us is anytime we sin, no matter who it's against, it's always against God because he is the righteous judge. So his plea is, God, forgive me. I sinned against you. His final plea for forgiveness gets right to the root of the issue that we all have. And that is sin nature. So let's look at this next verse. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, this is not suggesting that there was some sin involved with David's mom conceiving him. But what it is teaching is that from the very get-go, from the start, we are all sinners. We have a sin nature, and our tendency is towards sin. And that's why we all need forgiveness. Now, David's next plea is this. He he asked God to restore me. In verse 6, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So now what he's saying is this. He's saying, because God is the truth and encompasses wisdom, he desires his children, you and I, And David and all others who believe in him, he desires his children to love and find pleasure in the truth and make wise decisions based upon God's wisdom. And guess what? When we're pursuing sin, we're not clinging to the truth. We're not making wise decisions. We're not pursuing wisdom. And David wants to be restored. To that type of person, the person that loves the truth and loves wisdom and looks to God for guidance. So then he's saying, restore me. He says this, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, back in the Old Testament, there was a ritual cleansing of the lepers was, was this, using this herb hyssop. So David realized, you know what? My sin makes me spiritually unclean. So I need to be purified. I need to be restored. I need to be washed of that sin. That sin needs to be taken away. Like we talked about before, forgiven. But he's saying, restore me. Make me clean. Make me whole again. Then he goes on to say, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken, rejoice. David's communicating here. Restore me to a place of joy again. I'm a broken person, but you, God, can restore me. And the way that God can restore him is to not look at his sin any longer to not look at what he's done any longer. Restore me to that relationship. And and he goes on to say, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Basically, in this plea, David is asking for the relationship that he once had, that he once had when he was walking with the Lord to be restored. Now, we have to realize this. As believers, anytime we sin, It stresses our relationship with God. He does have mercy on us. He does forgive us. And his desire is to restore the relationship. But if we continue on the path of sin, the relationship will never be the same. And you know what? It's actually our fault. If we continue on the path of sin, the relationship will never be the same. We can never look at God and say, oh, God, you, you change things. No, 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 no. No, it's us who has changed things. This is why David's final plea is this. Renew me. Renew me. He says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. Change me from the inside, God. Make me not be that person that did what I did. David realized he willfully sinned. He willfully sinned. He saw that woman. He had an opportunity to actually run from that temptation, but he didn't. He willfully sinned. He wanted to do it. When he realized that his sin was getting bigger and bigger, he just continued to add sin to that. So his plea is he's saying, make me new. Make me not be that person. I don't want to be that person. Maybe you felt this way at some point in your life. You were so drawn in by the sin that was tempting you that it changed who you are. And when you look at that person, you don't even like that person. That's what David was going through here. He's saying, God, renew me. Then he says something that only someone in the Old Testament could say. Let's look. He says this in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, when someone sins against you and you you might want to say to them, like, just get out of my sight. Get away from me. I don't even want to see you. David realized that. David realized, okay, God's probably thinking that right now. He's probably like, David, get out of my sight. But he pleads with him. David says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is something that only an Old Testament saint can actually take. Because a person now on this side of the cross, when we trust in Jesus, we actually have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will never leave us. God will never leave us or forsake us so we can never look and say oh you know what have I sinned and God's going to take his Holy Spirit that's not going to happen on this side of the cross but David was realizing it could happen because it actually happened to the evil King Saul that was actually pursuing to kill him so he's saying to God you know what don't don't do this to me Don't cast me away. Don't take your spirit away from me. So there was something a little bit different about what David was going through when he sinned than what we go through now when we sin. But then he says this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's saying, help me to have the joy again that I felt before Before I went into this sin, help me to have this joy. Please be willing to do this for me. So now what happens is this. So we see these pleas that David had. He's pleading with God. He's praying with him. He's asking him. He's pleading with him. But now we transition and David starts to tell God how he will respond if he answers his plea. Now, it it doesn't seem to me that David's giving God an ultimatum. Like, God, if you do this stuff, then I'm going to do this stuff. It doesn't seem to be that way. It seems more that he's reminding God and he's reminding himself when the Lord has mercy, forgiveness, restores people and renews a person. There are natural responses. When we feel this. All these things come to fruition. There is a natural response. Now, this is not any specific order, but these are common and natural responses that David had. And we will have as well when we realize that God will forgive us, that God does have mercy on us, that God desires to restore us and renew us. So the first response, David's response is telling others. He says, then I will teach transgressors transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. When you come to the realization that God has mercy, that God forgives, that God restores, that God renews, you experience joy. And guess what? You want to tell other people about it. That's why we love to tell people about the gospel. That's why we love, because we know you know what? We were sinners and we were on a crash course to hell, but God saved us. I'm so joyful about that, that I want to tell everybody that I meet, that I want to tell every person that hears me speak about God and his word, because guess what? That makes you filled with joy. I want to tell other people, and that's what David's saying. You know what? If this comes to fruition in my life, here's here's my natural response. I'm going to tell other people about who you are and what you've done. Next is this. David's response is worship. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You know what? When the weight of guilt and the shame of sin are lifted off our shoulders, of course we want to sing. David's saying, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you. I want to praise you because you are such a good God. And even though I've done such a terrible thing or things that you still love me, you still care about me, you still have mercy on me, you still forgive me, you still restore me, you still renew me, you still want to do those things for me. The only response that I could have right now is just to sing your praises and to worship you. The next response is true remorse. He says for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. So back in the Old Testament, here's what would happen. They would make sacrifices for their sins an unblemished animal, and offerings. But David realized that's not what really God desires. What God really desires, especially from someone like King David, who could have given away probably 90 to 95% of everything he had and still lived a life as a wealthy man. What God desired was actually true remorse. He actually desired true remorse, which goes on. He says, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. The Sacrifices of, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Seeing us broken, or seeing David broken, but seeing us broken and contrite, which contrite means remorse, it actually pains you that you've sinned, seeing David in a situation where he's actually pained that he sinned, basically this is not an act. This is not something that we're putting on for others or David's putting on for others, but God seeing and knowing your heart. You know what? I don't care about all these other sacrifices. And David even said, if you cared about those things, I would actually give them to you because I can. But he's saying, I want to make sure that you realize what you've done and you're actually sorry for it, then you actually have remorse for it. So then we go on to the final response and that is prayer for others. He says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He's, he's basically saying, you know what? My response here now is this. You've done this for me, God. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray that other people realize this. Please, God, do this for others that also made mistakes similar to mine, maybe worse than mine or maybe less worse than mine. Okay? You may have found in life that when you sin in a bad way, the people that are the most kindest to you most understanding, most loving people are people that have been in your shoes, in similar shoes, who have made mistakes just like you. And you might realize that those people rally around you because they know how you feel. They know that you feel that everyone else has cast me away. Maybe even God has cast me away is maybe a lie that you're telling yourself. The reason they know what it's like Because they've done something that they're ashamed of and they felt the forgiveness of God. When it seemed like everyone else turned their back on them, they found forgiveness and mercy in God. So they're the people like David here that knows how it feels. And the only remedy to your situation when you sin is actually from God. The only remedy is God actually forgiving you and lifting you back up and doing these things for you like David's pleas. That's the only remedy. And David was praying that very thing for his people. Okay, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. He's saying, he's saying, you know what, God, I know there's other people out there that feel the way that I'm feeling right now because they've sinned against you. Lord, I pray for those people. So this morning, we're going to be observing communion together. And maybe you're, you're in a David situation. Maybe you feel terrible. Maybe someone has pointed out your sin or maybe you just realize your sin. Maybe you feel terrible. Well, one of the things that you do during communion or we do during communion is evaluate our life. You know, God does not want you to sit in guilt and shame and feel terrible about your sin. He wants you to feel the love and forgiveness that only his mercy and compassion can offer us. So during communion, as a believer, what we do is we evaluate our own lives. We look inside and say, you know what, God, where have I been going wrong? How have I been going the wrong way? How have I turned my back against you? How have I sinned against other people? And God, here's what I want to do. I want to give that over to you. And I want to ask you for help so that I can move forward because I can't do this on my own. The second thing that we do as believers when it comes to communion is we, we continually remember what Christ has done. You know what? Without that cross, without Christ dying on that cross for our sins, we don't have eternal life. Without Christ laying down his life and paying for our sins, we don't have forgiveness. So communion is a time to say, you know what, Lord, because you're broken. I no longer have to be broken anymore. I could be made whole. Because you shed your blood, I don't have to pay for my sin any longer. So Jesus, when he got together with his disciples, he said, when you're together, do this in remembrance of me. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds, 40 seconds of, of quiet, where you can spend some time just thinking and asking God to search your heart and forgive you of your sins. Take the sins that you're struggling with right now and throw them at the foot of the cross and ask for help to conquer those sins. So I'll give you a few moments of silence. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for the life of King David. And even though he fell, probably worse than many of us will ever fall in our entire lives. I pray, Lord, that we would look at his life as, as an example of what not to do, but of also how you can forgive and have mercy and restore and renew a person who has so grossly turned their back on you and have done things that no Christian should ever do. But we're thankful, Lord, that you're the loving God who's willing to forgive each person of their sin when they trust in you.